Steve Vines. Good morning. Oh, what a queue. Gonna, what a queue. Love is expensive and free. Is it expensive and free or is, not free? It is in here. Oh, here, right. I'm going to do some of this look into the future music. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're, you're the new Mystic Meg of Mystic RTHK. Meg. That's right. In, in, in which terms you, you have hot competition from no less a person than the chief executive of the Hong seconds. Kong <laughs> Special Administrative Region. Yeah. Step forward, Leung Chung Ying. Mm. Now, according to Mr Leung, uh, and we, we must all listen very carefully to what he says, because he's very tall. Um, according to Mr Leung, he has, he's seen it in the ether. He's seen <laughs> it in the ether. That there are 13 or 14 pro-Democrats who are going to come over to the government's side when it comes to the vote on constitutional reform. This is an interesting statistic. I like, actually, I like the, the, the 13 or 14. It's like, you know, could be six and a half or seven, but no, it's 13 or 14. Nostradamus. Now, yesterday, Carrie Lamb, his number two, or in true ranking, number 53, um, had a meeting with, with the said pan-Democrats, who apparently were, were vulnerable to coming over, i.e. Emily Lau and, and um, Albert um, Chan, and um, uh, she came out of the meeting. She said, "Well, um, well, I mean, mm, uh, well, no, 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 well, we haven't actually got anybody who's come over yet, but we're confident. We're confident that uh, people, you know, they'll see the light. Blah blah blah." And then she gave the usual spiel. But I mean, what? So, what is it? This all about? I mean, what on earth is this all about? Really, well, it's, should- it's not based on. Facts. I don't know. Usually in this part of the world, this part of the world, when somebody says something is a fait accompli, it is. Well, I think I think that, that what Lan Chung Ying um, is about, and I've thought this throughout the piece, is that like um, many people in the Chinese Communist Party, he really doesn't give two what's-its. I better call them what's-its on air, yes. He really doesn't give two what's-its whether the electoral reform bill passes in LegCo, they'll introduce it next week, because the status quo suits them perfectly well. Mm -hmm. If it should pass and they can get a rigged election system and call it a democratic system, that's also good. If they can't get it passed, what is their real aim in all of this? It's not to introduce democracy to Hong Kong. Although I I, I, see, I, I I keep reading in the newspapers, so it must be true, all sorts of people who are saying, oh, this is progress, we shouldn't have thought progress. Well, if you like the North Korean system of election, yes, indeed, it is progress. Now, what is the real objective here is to smash the Democrats. Unfortunately, the Democrats see the trap and go, I tell you what, let's walk straight into it, because... Um, uh, we can't see any way other than that. So the real tactic is hearts and minds of the Hong Kong people, which is interesting that, that he's interested in that. And it's interesting that the Communist Party is interested in that because they really want to use this as an opportunity to paint the Democrats as being anti-democratic, to say that the Democrats are inflexible. I mean, Carrie Lam in one breath says, you know, these people should really 
you know, compromise with us and change your mind. But I can assure you that when it comes to our legislation, there will be no compromise. In fact, I think that the headline in, in People's Post read today, um, drop your illusions, says Carrie Lamb, and that's an accurate reflection of what she was saying. Mm. You know, don't expect when the bill is published on Wednesday, there'll be anything in there to give you comfort. You are the people who have to compromise. If yeah, there's any concessions, one party has to compromise. Yes, if there's any concessions <laughs> to be made, it's you boys, it's not us, because honestly, we've already decided what's going to happen. Yeah. So I think this business about, you know, so many Democrats is to try and spread dissension in the Democratic camp. I like and, who is it kind of thing. Who is it? Is it uncertain? Is the Democratic camp reunited? The reality is that at the moment, in fact, the Democratic camp is united. But instead of responding with this by saying, well, thank you, Mr. Lung. Uh, can we have the list of those names, those 13 to 14 people who, who you've identified? Oh, you don't have it. Well, then stop telling lies. Stop it. Why doesn't somebody just say that? Yeah. What, what is so difficult? Instead of sort of blabbering on going, united, together, made our decision. You know, I mean, it ain't good enough. Yeah. It really ain't good enough. Then you come to, and this is really clever, I have to say. I sit there in absolute admiration of the propaganda skills of the Hong Kong government. I never thought that I'd come all the way from Sai Kung to say that. But they are now suggesting, and I heard it on a on a broadcast just before this one actually yeah. somebody repeating um the, the the illusion that somehow the public is all in favor of this rigged um this rigged electoral reform the fact of the matter is if you look carefully at all the polls what they show is that opinion is very divided and that where there is majority support it's not for the proposal in itself it's for the idea that somehow the logjam has to be broken. Mm. Now, then there is a reasonable debate to be had of whether passing the, the, um, the um, proposals of the MPCC would break the logjam or just create an enormous barrier towards further electoral reform. Now, the position of the Democrats, and goodness me, it's great that they refuse to articulate it, mm. is that this isn't progress, but it is erecting of a bigger barrier. I, I don't see what's so difficult about saying that. I was reading Instead, a... they keep going, oh, it's not right, it doesn't meet yeah. international standards. Well, you know, Mrs. Wong of, Miss, of Wong Tai Sin isn't sitting there going, oh, gosh, international standards. I don't know how that's going to affect the price of choice sum in the market. Absolutely. I was reading an article the other day that asked a very simple question. Where's he getting his confidence from? And I think he's getting his confidence from the fact that they're waging a highly successful propaganda battle. As I say, the objective of that battle is not to pass this legislation, because I don't seriously think it will pass. I, I could be wrong about that, but as matters stand. But it's the longer-term goal of um, creating dissension in the democratic camp and smashing. He wants to Do smash. Really, they're going to fall for it? Yes. I, I Well... Let's see. I mean, you know, it, 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 the fat lady hasn't come on and sung yet. Well, the so, thin lady's singing quite a lot, and she, thin, seems, she seems to be like, we are, we are not impressed, she says, yes, Emily. Yes. Well, you know, I mean, I, 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 I will the Democrats to be a bit more... Um, With it. I to tell know. the story, you know. The whole point about a political campaign is to tell a story. 
is I don't mean tell a fairy tale. I mean tell a story. Say, you know, why is it that we want universal suffrage? Not an end in itself. It, the purpose of universal suffrage is to to achieve accountable and better governance. Yeah. And every place you look in the world that has it, with all its faults, has more stable, more accountable, and actually more efficient forms of government. There's a sort of myth, and again, the people in the anti-democratic camp have managed to perpetuate this myth, that if you allow the people, the great unwashed, to vote for their own candidates. You're voting for instability, you're voting for uncertainty, and you're voting for economic decline. So that message, you know, these three terrible things that are going to happen if you have democracy in Hong Kong, people are going, blimey, instability, that's very bad, we don't want that. So why don't they paint another story on the democratic side, say, you know, this is what the uplands look like, this is what a blue sky looks like, why don't we have some of that? I don't hear it, I just don't hear it. See, bearing in mind everything you've just said about the talks, if one side is rigid, what's the point of having talks in the first place? Well, I, my, my, uh, I come back to this idea that, as I say, I don't think they fundamentally care the government side. They don't fundamentally care whether this proposal is passed. They'd like it to be passed because, you know, then you've erected this enormous barrier to further constitutional reform. But if it isn't and they maintain the status quo, that's a pretty big barrier to representative government as it is. So either way, they they look at the either way, it's a win-win. But the real prize is After years and years of having a democratic movement that, in terms of popular opinion, has been so much stronger than the anti-democratic movement, if they can reverse that, if they can, during this campaign, reduce the Democrats to a minority of people whose very existence as an opposition is denied legitimacy, because remember what's also going on is that there's constant talk about how somehow opposing the government equals subversion, how somehow opposing the government means that you're financed by foreign forces. All of this is being brought into the equation. And, you know, they may well they may will win this propaganda battle. You know what, I reckon we're going to find out who shot Kennedy before we find out who these foreign <laughs> forces are. Yes, that's right. I want to change the topic before we go to a break for a little while, because I want to go to an right. email, email okay. from Chris. He says, he's talking about the budget, so they're all getting stuck into that. Yes. Uh, Chris says, good morning, I applaud Longhair and Co's efforts to get a universal pension, not necessarily because I agree with them, but because it's a positive policy, which they are putting forward as an alternative to the government's rather than stuck in the usual one-issue pandem policy. <laughs> However, says Chris, yet another filibuster seems to be a bit counterproductive. Any views? Well, I entirely agree with him about um, the idea of, you know, if you've had a tactic that hasn't worked once, the really smart thing is not to to try it again. I mean, the filibuster tactic has not been successful. I don't think it's been successful in terms of bringing more public opinion onto the side of the people doing the filibuster. It has helped... Uh, how can I say it? It's helped elaborate the argument that, that all the Democrats are is obstructive. Now, I would take issue with something that Chris says. Actually, the fact of the matter is that the Democrats do um, have policies on all sorts of things. It's just we don't hear about yeah, them. exactly what you You know, I mean, before. he says, he says, oh, well, at least they, they've got a policy about universal, uh, universal pension which I also happen to think would be a good thing. But in fact, they've got many, many policies. The trouble is they've probably got too many 
actually. It's not that they've got too few. And they, they, they kind of, you know, for five minutes they emphasise this policy, for five minutes they emphasise that. There's not enough targeting of strategic objectives in these policies. Yeah. And I don't, I don't quite agree with him that the, the, the fundamental aim of um, the opposition of Longhair and his two other allies in, in LegCo is to push for, for pensions. It's actually to push for a number of things. Mm. Of course it won't succeed, but, you know, it's true. You should raise these issues. See, every time they do this, it may infuriate people, but it gets some news time. It and does it, get and, and some And in doing news. so, it but focuses it, on these issues. Yeah, in, but within. I think the problem is that it, it, it focuses on, you know... There's a perfectly good case to be made for a universal pension system. There really is. There's a perfectly good case to be made, incidentally, for for scrapping the MPF, which is an absolute scandalous... I remember that. ...a scandalous disgrace, and we're all paying for it. What's supposed to happen about that, by the way? Um, you're supposed to make mutual fund companies richer. That's that's your job. I guess I'm doing your that. job today. <laughs> your job today, folks, is to make mutual fund companies now, that this, much richer. Now, is this considered a failure? Well... Apparently not, because it's full savings, but, you know, it's full savings in instruments that yield derisory returns um, and impose on every employee and every employer in Hong Kong ridiculously high levels of costs. So is it protecting the wealth of Hong Kong people or preserving their, their wealth? I really think it's doing a lousy job, but... Hey, you, do don't you, ever, ever, you don't hear that argument made much, you do you? You certainly don't. You don't hear anything about it. Uh, do you ever read your statements? Well, I must say I do, because I'm a masochist. <laughs> I, I think, oh, how much, how much have I lost with this bunch of morons? You, you know, I mean... Um, what's, what, what, in general, what's it look like? What's the, what's the What way? it looks like is that for every single year... Every single year hmm. that the MPF has been in existence, and most of MPF investments goes into equity markets, some of it goes into other instruments like bonds, but for every year, the MPF funds have underperformed the markets they're supposed to represent. And when you take into account the costs that you pay, the management fees that you pay these fund management companies to lose money for you, the losses are even greater. So... How anybody on earth can say this this scheme has been a success? They must be people who have a deep feeling about the poverty of fund management companies. I mean, they're forcing you to put away some money. Yes, that's got to be reasonable. I I don't disagree Nobody with that says you're as a principle. Earn a wedge off it. The question is, how was it done? And the way it was done was to to have a small clutch of fund providers giving a relatively small choice right. to people. And in, in initially, of course, the individual employer employee didn't even have a choice of which companies put their funds in. The employers made that choice. And now you do. It's very fiddly. It, well, it's very, if you want to change, it's very fiddly. Um, you know, I mean, there is actually an instrument in Hong Kong, if you really just wanted to have a long-term investment in equities, you could put all your money in the tracker fund. You've said that before. You you do that, and you would get far, far better returns, Mm. bar none, than going into any one of these single useless MPF funds. Steve Vines here, just about 20 minutes to 11. You notice we've got some of these weird phrases and descriptions of things in Hong Kong that are the step-around-the-issue thing. We've got compensated dating. And we've also got parallel trading. Parallel trading. I like parallel. I've always liked parallel trading. Because if you came off the moon, you'd say to yourself... I wonder what that means. Parallel trading. Does that mean 
um, we trade together? Does it mean we trade in unison? Does it mean... Well, anyway, we know actually what it means here. But actually, what does it mean here? Exactly. It means, you know... I mean, the way you look at it, it sounds as though these people are coming across the border. It's legit. And buying... It sounds legit. Well, well I mean, it, it sounds not legit, actually. It sounds so? as though. Well, I don't know what it means. I mean, Go on. <laughs> uh, what are they basically buying? They're buying powdered milk. Stuff that's dodgy over the border. Stuff that's dodgy over the border, but is not inherently dodgy. I mean, they're not drug mules. They're not bringing across, you know, uh, big, big sort of stacks of untaxed cigarettes. Then they're baby. Basically, bringing across, I think, in the majority, is baby products. Why are they bringing over baby products? Because over the border, nobody trusts them. Well, the plot thickens because apparently some local people have been sort of hired. Well, to, it seems to do that, the... in fact, there's a majority of local people are now doing this trade. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was yesterday's news. That was now, yesterday's does that make news. any difference? Well, I think let's, let's just wheel back a bit because, I mean, what's happening now? is that the Hong Kong government, after a long gestation period of, of sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what should we do, um, has, has managed to persuade or has managed to get orders or whatever what the correct terminology is from the mainland government to say that Shenzhen vi- visitors will be restricted <coughs> to one visit a week to Hong Kong. That's new ones that's the new ones yeah. so um that means that anybody who's thinking of making a living out of bringing goods over the border ain't going to be able to do that but let's reel back and remember why these daily visits were allowed why these permits were allowed in the first place they were allowed because uh oh that's right hong kong asked for <laughs> it yes this was during the aftermath of the sars period when yeah. you know no one was coming to hong kong so i think it was little donald went cap in hand up to jay and said please sir can we have some visitors and they said visitors visitors young man and they said well yeah okay all right you can have some visitors from shenzhen <laughs> And then they said, oh, you can have visitors from wider Guangdong. And then you said you can have visitors. Anyway, so then all these visitors come and people go, oh, my God, there's all these people coming. How did that happen? Well, it happened because the Hong Kong government asked for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I just wonder if the focus is going to change if indeed Hong Kong people are being paid to do this. By but proxy. I still don't get what the problem is. I mean, is there a worldwide shortage of powdered milk i don't mean the dodgy kind that exists over the border is there a worldwide shortage of baby diapers i haven't heard about it i know but so it's, there's a it's supply, whispers, isn't it the, the word's a, gone out there's, there's a supply good. and demand issue here and i do understand when you go down a street in Kok and find that half the shops are dispensaries and you can't get you know if you want an apple it's a bit of a problem or you want you know other forms of daily necessities it's a bit of a problem because all of those shops is i understand all of that yeah. perfectly understandable i understand that people living near the border are slightly fed up that they can't get on the buses slightly fed up they're more than slightly fed up they're very fed up walk down the street get on the buses and also um, don't, don't uh, forget also there's the issue of people with kids who go to school right up there yes so there, there's many issues so if you were a government, and you know everything comes back to do you actually have an accountable government that understands how things should be done? If you had a rational government, maybe what they would say is, I tell you what, there's a problem with transportation. Let's address the problem of transportation. Let's put on more buses, more of that kind of infrastructure yeah. to help people around. There's a problem for people who live in the Northern New Territories 
of rising prices in the shops because the malls where um, these visitors come to buy their things now are homes to many, many pharmacies who, of course, can pay higher rents because they're doing <laughs> such lively business. So why don't you do something? In fact, this proposal does exist yeah. to have special shopping centres um, to cope precisely for this trade and leave the other ones more for the needs of local people. Now, that's that's actually a sensible suggestion. Needless to say, it didn't come from the government, it came from the private sector, but never mind, it's there. But bureaucrats don't like that because it means doing something. They would actually have to designate land, they'd have to get off their backsides, they'd have to sign forms, probably more than 524. Mm, and actually, you're quite right, they do like signing forms, but, but they might have to sign them quickly. They don't like doing that. That's a different issue. Let's go to a quickie here from Richard. He says, Google references appear to be exclusive to Hong Kong. Parallel imports or grey imports are different, so there is justification in Steve asking, what is parallel trading? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> I just wonder if the whole vibe is going to change. If well, it's, I if, wonder. If I mean, well, what I'm saying is, but this does tell you a lot about dysfunctional government. It also reminds us, in case anybody's forgotten, that Hong Kong, the special administrative region with a high degree of autonomy, I quote the basic law no less, has no autonomy whatsoever in deciding how many people can come in. You know, what, what other government, what other territory can really reasonably sort out its economic priorities without having control of its borders. It, it, I mean, it actually, this is an inheritance from, from the dark colonial days when we lived under that oppression, when the um, even then the uh, immigration to Hong Kong from the mainland wasn't controlled from the Hong Kong side. It was entirely mm. controlled from the mainland side. 150 people a day, that incidentally still exists. And they selected who the 150 people were. And, you know, if there was big demand, presumably more money got paid to the officials who selected the 150 people. If there was lower demand, less money was paid to the officials. But whichever way you look at it, the simple fact of the matter is Hong Kong has not had control over who comes into this place. Therefore, quite hard, I would think, to have a sensible economic policy. But even even so, even so, given the economic and the political reality that, that this control exists purely in the mainland, you would have thought that you'd have a government here who'd say, OK, let's step back. What is the problem? The problem isn't a universal shortage of diapers. The problem isn't a universal shortage of this, that and the other. The problem is how do we organise it? But, of course, the easiest solution and the populist solution, because don't forget that even C.Y. Learn. I mean, I don't think he seriously ever thinks he's going to be popular, but he'd like to be less unpopular, which is a double negative, um, thinks, well, if I can, you know, kind of pull this one off, it seems to me like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something good. Maybe people won't hate me so much. Instead of actually tackling the problem to its base, I mean, there is nothing wrong with money from the mainland coming into the Hong Kong economy last time I looked. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with people buying goods in Hong Kong. It's supposed to be a shopper's paradise. I read that in a tourist brochure, so it must be true. Shopping and eating. There's nothing wrong. Yay, shopping and there's eating, nothing, selfie. There's nothing wrong with them buying a lot of things in Hong Kong, in yeah. my view. But there is a problem. That there's a very real issue, problem though, of it? congestion. Yeah. 
And, you know, that could be sorted out. But, of course, if you're a miserable little bureaucrat sitting in your office, you're going, mm, it's a lot, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, you bastard, oh, dear me, oh, oh. tea break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything for Steve Morningbrew at rthk.hk. Thanks for the one so far. Little one that came into the news yesterday before we go on, uh, reading, Taxi- taxis want to get a bit more money for the flag fall, they want to go up to 24. Me, immediate reaction, well, start taking me where I want to go, <laughs> and that might not be a problem. But then I looked closer, and the word was taxi operators. Yeah. Well, you must... Uh, you must. I mean, people must remember that most of the taxi drivers you see in Hong Kong don't own their taxis. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, because the licences are so phenomenally expensive that it's not viable. So these guys are working, I'm told, 10, ten hours a day is, is completely average, but many of them are working 12, 13, 14 hours a day. They get a bit grumpy. They do. They get a bit grumpy. In fact, I don't know whether it's my impression or, 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 or what. They seem to me to be getting a bit grumpy. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, and, you know, the idea... I mean, I actually, I, I almost entirely only take taxis in the New Territories, where, where I think it, it is a bit better. Not quite so grumpy. I mean, not quite so grumpy. And, um, um, you know, there's less of this, um, I'll only take you if you want to go, you know... Uh, much further so I can get a bigger I mean, getting, fare. From, getting from Kowloon to Hong Kong or vice versa has, in my opinion, more or less stopped. Is that right? I mean, I, seems, I haven't, I, I always use the MTR for that, so I wouldn't know, but it, yeah. It seems to happen also. There's been some stuff in the news recently about, you know, taking a bung and then, then they'll put the meter yes. down. I haven't oh, experienced oh, that. Well, I, I, I have experienced that. I have experienced that in Central, not, not, not in the New Territories. Where they go, oh, well, you know, uh, that that's $100. I'm going, what? <laughs> what do you do? It's all supposed to be well, illegal. I, I, never, are... I never take those taxes if they ask me for that. But yeah. but, the one, the one but time if, it, you... if it's pouring down with rain yeah. and it's, you know, midnight and your only objective is, God, for God's sake, get I need to get home, yeah. maybe you will hand over the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one time of year you've got to feel for these guys is when <laughs> the sevens is on. Yeah, all these drunken yes. boilers and what. Yeah. And you can't and, blame and they them. can't work out where they want to go. They, they disappeared in Central <laughs> over the sevens weekend. Is that right? Boom! Absolutely. Oh, right. Anyway, uh, yeah. Yes. Well, uh, there's another uh, little. Well, is it a little thing in the news? I mean, the, the, there were eyebrows were raised um, when it was learned that Jay uh, Walder, the former head of the MTR was given a, a, a payoff of $15.7 million. This is the man who presided over an MTR that, to put it mildly, had some problems and had to go. Yeah. Now, I, I accept that probably he did indeed have a contract that said. with contractual obli- obligations that, that yielded this sum of money, but it does stick in the craw. It does stick in the draw. It seems to. Because it's other folks' money. Those other folks are us, the taxpayers and the, uh, and the, and the great unwashed of the public. So the question isn't so much should he have got the 15.7 million payoff for underperforming in a task that really did require a bit of professional expertise. The question is who were the dingbats who signed this contract with him? Who were the who were the bureaucrats who sat down there and going, cool, 
blimey, he, he's a big name because he was. Remember, he's this from is a America. man. Not no, only was he from America, where he had mass transit experience, he'd also run the London Underground. So you know, they thought, oh, this is a big prize. Let's shovel loads of money in his direction, and this will solve our problem. Yeah. Well, he was he was on a very high salary anyway, and he just didn't perform well in Hong Kong. It's that's a factual fact, and he had to go. So you have to ask yourself, are the people who are doing the hiring and firing for these public institutions, and I know you will say, oh, well, you won't say, but people will say, oh, well, you know, the MTR is now a listed company, it's not in the public sector. Very, very funny. I think that's very amusing. It's, it's the monopoly provider of a mass transit service in Hong Kong. So it's only semi in the private sector. It's still largely run by bureaucrats. There's many, many bureaucrats on its board. And it still has that bureaucratic mindset. So instead of finding, you know, the right people for the job and finding people under contractual terms that would be acceptable to the public... You know, they think, ah, other folks' money, let's bang it around a bit. There was something really bad, or fairly bad, that happened with the MTR a few months back, just before, you know, he, he, he split or whatever. And I can't remember what it was. Was it just some serious delay and the, and the stations were absolutely crowded? Something. There, were, there was something that, went down. and then there's but, the whole debacle over the, the, the you, you know, the various construction programmes. Uh, I mean, there's been debacle after debacle. At the end of the day, I think we should also remember, just to be fair, and goodness me, I don't know why I come here to be fair, but never mind. <laughs> At the end of the day, it you know Hong Kong does have a decent mass transit system. Oh no question, it's not. Uh, um, you you want to travel on some others before you whinge about it. London, for instance. Yeah, London, the, for the, the instance. Thing that, the thing that sprung to mind was just as I say, something happened, and it was real logjam, and they needed to put spokesmen out there and stuff. Surely the captain of the ship usually gets up there and says, "I've got it covered. I'm yeah, on this." Yeah, I didn't didn't see that. No, once. I didn't see that. And that either. Was, it was just like, well. That's Odd. That was all yeah, I thought at the time. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the buck stops nowhere is a very common principle yeah. in Hong Kong's public sector. Or, you know, I, I bravely declare that my number two is responsible for this. Well, I don't know what it was, but, I mean, it, it just struck me as a bit odd. Here's a chance to really be the man, get, yeah. a, bit, get a bit of spotlight. Yeah. I've, I'm on this. I've got it yeah, covered. Yeah. But it didn't happen. Got a couple of little bits and pieces here. Uh, of course about taxis. Somebody writes in to me and says, last night a friend wanted to get a taxi to Causeway Bay from Wyndham. The driver says he'll charge 150 bucks because the traffic is bad over there. I've never seen that before. It's no, I, I, I have to say I keep hearing about it, so but I. I, I, I've only once experienced um, a cab asked me for 100 bucks, and I can't remember where I was going, but it was somewhere on Hong Kong side. There must be a and, fundamental reason And, and I must reason say, I just didn't do it and went to the next cab, and it was all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, just, I mean, then what, what do you think it is? You know, you want to get as much business I as you can. I think what it is is, is that the, 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 the poor... I, I've got some sympathy, even for the grumpy cab drivers. I mean, they are not getting a lot of money. They're not getting rich out of driving a cab. The taxi operators have a nice, consistent income. Because remember, regardless of how many fares the cabbie gets, they still have to pay the rental for the vehicle. So the, the, it's a so this $24 thing will go to the, the people who own as opposed to the people who drive. Is that so? I'm not sure about that. Probably will. Uh, yeah, I don't... Well, I, I think... I, actually, I, I think it does go to the people who drive, but what happens is that as soon as there's a fare hike, yeah. they put up the rental 
You see what I mean? For, 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 for the car. So, so that um, it's a nice system. It's, it's a very small number of people control most of the cabs in Hong Kong. Yeah. And uh, funnily enough, they have control and they screw their own drivers. 